Welcome to the Life Success and Legacy Podcast. We're super excited. We are taking on a worthwhile endeavor at Life Success and Legacy. Our intention is to honor Nelson Nash, the man, as well as the infinite banking concept. We're going to create a series of resources, including podcasts and text, as a resource for others who want to truly understand with depth and clarity what Nelson shared in his book, Becoming Your Own Banker, as well as the many seminars and think tanks that we were fortunate to have attended during his life. So who is this intended audience? Well, we will use Nelson Nash's own words. It is written for the layman, not for financial advisors, but all life agents should be thoroughly knowledgeable of its content and practice. So whether you are an individual, part of a family, a business owner, or a life insurance agent, this is for you. So sit back, relax, and we will walk you through becoming your own banker step-by-step so you can reference the parts you want to revisit at your own pace. And we might have a little fun along the way. Hey, we want to welcome you all back to the Life Success and Legacy podcast. My name is Chris Bay, and I'm joined by our founder at Life Success and Legacy, Michael K. Everett. Good morning, morning. Mike Everett. Morning, sir. I'm doing super, super good. Excellent, excellent. We have been um, making our way through the equipment financing section for those of you who have been joining us. And we are today picking up on page 53, um, and we are on the second column, uh, about the third paragraph down. It's the last full paragraph on that page. And it says, at this point, consideration should be given to how to improve the results even further. So just to recap a little bit, what we've been doing is talking about this, this uh, business owner, right? And, yep. and he has been slowly learning how to implement IBC with his policy. Some of these examples in the book are great um, examples to help people understand how this can, can work. Nelson now is going to talk about some improvements and there's actually even some examples that aren't in the book that we've talked about and we may come back to again of how we would coach people to do things. And I think Nelson would too, um, but as we've commented in previous podcasts, he is writing this book to people who have, th- have only thought a certain way, yeah, right? That's and, right. And so he's, instead of just like slamming them in the face and totally changing their way of thinking, he's like easing them along. And, and some of those examples are things that, you know, people think of premiums with life insurance as a bill. Yeah. They don't think of them as a deposit. Um, so he uses paid up life insurance and dividends to cover those premiums. People think of loans as debt. And so, you know, he doesn't even use policy loans in, in these cases, uh, in many of these cases. So there's several examples of, of improvements. Um, and that's what we're going to talk about today is some of the things that Nelson talks about with improvements. Uh, Mike Everett, is there anything that you want to do in recapping as we roll into this section of the chapter? Well, we're, we're probably going to bounce between uh, the original illustration one, and, and I'm going to jump right over, jump over there for a second, where uh, he, does, he does zero banking, zero financing, and then we're going to go through illustration two, we're going to go through three, four, and five. So uh, if you have a book, if, if the folks that are listening have a book, that would be awesome. I know some of you are listening to this in your car as you're going to and from work. <laughs> so um, it, it, it really, it would be uh, difficult uh, to really grasp what's going on inside this if you're not, if you don't have access to a book. But other than that, uh, you know, we, we can make this thing work however you want it to work. <laughs> All right. So we're going to talk about what Nelson um, outlines here for us is some things to think about as we're designing these policies to make them even better. And I'm reminded by um, one of our friends, um, Mike Kwong who (laughs) Mike's awesome. The guy's got a lot of letters after his name, super smart. 
and uh, Mike and Pay are just fantastic people. They actually, they actually, we met them because they found our podcast and they yep. reached out to us, and they've been guests on our podcast. But one of the things I'm reminded that Mike says all the time is he gets frustrated why people don't start sooner. He's like, it's not the first year that you're missing out on. It's right. the last year. Oh, man. If you look at these illustrations and what happens in those last years, it is significant. It's so, huge. The numbers, hmm. the numbers can get silly. So my point in bringing that up is even these small little tweaks may not seem like much. But over the life of these policies can make a significant difference. In the well, the run. example that Nelson uses is uh, 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 the whole idea of taking a pan of water and heating it up. It takes a whole lot to get it to 210 <laughs> degrees. But then when you get it to 212, it becomes live steam and has power. Mm-hmm. And that is exactly what's going on internally inside the policy. It just t- it seems like it takes forever to get the policy heated up. But boy, when it gets there, I'm going to tell you what, it is fun, fun. <laughs> Mike, in your experience with your policies, uh, about what year did you start to realize, wow, this thing's really taken off? Probably six or seven. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, you know. The fifth year was when I kind of go, hmm, this seems like this would really work well. But I'm going to tell you when six or seven rolled around and we were paying premium deposits and then able to access more than what our premium deposit was through policy loans against the policy. I'm going to tell you, that's when I go, wow, wow, wow. Because (laughs) as I've told you a number of times in our team and even some folks, When I started IBC, I literally did not anticipate I was doing it for Linda and I. Right. I thought I was doing it for future generations and we didn't have grandkids at the time. And so now all of a sudden, you know, literally 16 years later, I look at this and I go, wow, man, do I wish I would have started this at age 21 when I got married. Right. And uh, but, you know, a life is what it is and it still works. And we tell people when, you know, when do you think a guy ought to start? And I said, 20 years ago, <laughs> literally. Well, so, you started when you were 50. Age 50. I started when I was 40. And this equipment yep. financing guy, I believe, starts when he's 30. He does. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so he's more in line with uh, like our, our friend Michael Crawford, you know, getting to start a little bit earlier in, in his lifetime. Mm, mm. So. Okay, so let's talk about some of these improvements. Um, first of all, um, <laughs> I love Nelson's language. He's like, uh, anytime you can cut out the blood suckers out of the pattern, <laughs> he That's should right. do so. And so um, he's talking here about... <clears throat> Um, illustration five and noting the cash value at the end of the second year. And his question he poses is when you look at that, can the truck be financed at that point? And he says, yes, but remember he should continue to capitalize the policy for a total of four years. Can you talk a little bit about Nelson's thinking in his mindset, why he says that? Well, so we're going to bounce between two illustrations real quick. We're going to go to illustration one. And if we go at the end of year two, uh, the, the cash value in illustration one where they did zero financing is 65282. But he references illustration five. The cash value at the end of year two is 65,282. So basically what's happening is in illustration one, two, three, four, five, he's doing exactly the same thing. So the illustrations are going to be identical at that point. Could he indeed? do financing of the of the vehicle of the second vehicle let's say the answer is yes but what's happening is it's going to lower the values significantly but yet are the dollars there to be able to do it Mm -hmm. they are there um so so talk a little bit about what are what's the drawback of lowering those values? What what are the what's the implication there if he overborrowed or you know if he if he did go ahead and finance it? Well, here's the, the tendency if we go back to Parkinson's law real quick is people go, wow, 
I got all this money in my hands, but not thinking about the fact that if you borrow, if you got the money borrowed over here at the bloodsuckers, the, the, the basically the general bank or the finance company, do you have to make those payments? Absolutely. So if you end up borrowing enough for two trucks, then, and if you go back to the uh, um, exhibit one, where he's actually doing the financing, the payment on that one truck is what? It is 1500 bucks a month. So that means that your payment on the second truck is another 1500. So it's $3,000 a month. Well, you've got to be diligent and you've got to get Parkinson's law out of your brain and make those payments because if you're paying them over here, you've got to be able to create a system to where you pay it to yourself. And there's a number of different ways. And we'll, we'll get into that as, as we kind of roll through this, but so mm -hmm. You, you've got to you've got to be willing to uh, create the system to where you are actually making those payments to yourself, which highlights and Nelson would say this all the time is you need a coach. You need and, a coach, and that's what we pride ourselves on yep. is our ongoing support of our clients, our ongoing relationship, friendships, and and coaching them. And making sure, encouraging, you know, doing auto loans, loan repayments, yep. setting up where it just automatically gets sucked out of your checking account and goes into your IBC policy in loan repayments where you don't even have to think about it. I remember when I first started my policies, we'd set up automatic loan repayments. Yep. So I basically messed with my policies one time a year. When you paid your premium deposit. Paid my premium. Yeah. Turned around, took out a loan, used it to turn more wind current and set up automatic loan repayments and then just put it on auto. Well, getting back to Parkinson's law, you know, basically what you, when you set up a policy, it's like having your own grocery store. So we're going to just relate to the grocery store real quick. If I own the grocery store, do I want to pay retail or do I want to pay wholesale? Well, if I own the grocery store, I want to pay retail for my groceries, because what's going to happen is 20 and 30 years from now, when I, when I get ready to sell that business, if I've paid retail for all of the groceries that I have used, me and my family, then the bottom line is I'm going to be able to sell my business for a much greater profit. The same holds true when we're financing trucks. In this example, we want to pay retail Whatever you were going to finance it down at XYZ Finance Company, you want to finance that same number to yourself. And in this particular example, it could be up to 15 to 18%. Now, interest rates when Nelson wrote the book were much, much higher than they are now, but yet you still have the, uh, uh, the wherewithal to be able to charge yourself a reasonably good uh, interest rate while you're financing that thing and paying retail for those, uh, those dollars, the same. Yeah. So, so Nelson, then uh, at the bottom of 53, and then we jump over to the top of page 57, the next improvement he talks about mm -hmm. is, is a term called backdating, which is a life insurance <laughs> thing. Yeah. People I always tell people the banking part of this concept is really simple. Yep. Where it gets complicated is the fact that it uses life insurance. That's right. Everybody it's beneficial, gets hung yeah. but it's complicated. That's so right. can you kind of uh, talk a little bit about this concept of backdating and what are the benefits of backdating? Well, backdating is, and, and almost every life insurance company out there will allow you to backdate the policy. So, and they'll let you backdate it up to six months, only six months though. Mm -hmm. um, so what is backdating? Let's just say your premium, and I'm going to use a $10,000 premium as an example. If all of a sudden you have a $10,000 premium and you were going to, let's just use September 1 because we're at the 9th of September right now. What you would do is you would go back to 3-1 or March 1st and be able to say, you know what? I want to pay that premium on March 1st, even though it's September 1st. Now, the real advantage to that is you've got the premium paid now back to back to March 1 and you have another premium coming due 
six months from now. So really in the first 18 months of your policies, you've been able to pay two full years premium in 18 months. Now, the really big disadvantage of this is a lot of people don't have that kind of money sitting around. Right. So, you know, you've got people who have access to some assets that have the availability to do that if they really want to jumpstart their plan. Can it be done? Absolutely. Is it, uh, is it judicious for everybody to do this? No, it is not. So that is why when we are coaching clients, we're taking a look at their entire picture to be able to say, you know what, this is a great option for you, but you know, for you over here, it is not a great option. And if, if we're doing our, our due diligence for our clients and serving them well, then we will help them think through what's the right thing for themselves. It's really not difficult, but yet having that conversation, since it's usually not something that we're all thinking about, I mean, already backdating in the, you know, a policy throws a question mark into somebody's head and they're going, well, what does that mean? Well, it really means that you're able to shove in two years premiums in an 18 month period. It, yeah. And, and it or a 12, some, yeah, 12 months actually. Right. Yeah. In yeah. 12 months. So it would, um, it would be someone who has made that shift in their mind to seeing yep. premiums as deposits. That has, that step has to have taken place in their brain. And secondly, it's, it's, for someone who is going to be paying those premiums with new money mm. rather than taking policy loans yep. to pay the premiums in all likelihood. Yeah. Um, so for our listeners, if, if you're kind of interested in this, wow, I could backdate or why didn't I backdate? The two things is one, think of your premiums as a deposit. You get to make de two deposits <laughs> yeah. in a shorter amount of period. Basically in six months, you're putting in two premiums, right? That's right. Yeah. And, and then secondly, you've you've got to probably have new money to pay those premiums rather than using policy loans to, uh, to pay those. That's premiums. exactly right. But really, in, in, in all reality, uh, the 18-month time period that I was referring to is when you have access to a bigger pool of dollars to be able to utilize. Yes. It's, it's really, it's you, pretty you'd phenomenal. Have, you'd have three premiums worth of cash value available in 18 months where it would, is that right? 18 months. I'm thinking through. Yeah, I think that's right. That's right. Yeah. That, that'd be incredible if somebody had that ability to do that. So while, while I'm, I'm sitting here explaining this and I'm going to just be candid with our listeners for about a half a second, I was teaching this to people <laughs> reading this through. And I'm going to tell you what, it, if anybody knows me, knows that I'm not super, super detailed. So I would be blowing through page 53 and get down to the bottom. And it says, and another improvement can be achieved by at the top of 57 and then backdating the policy for six months. And then there's a little paragraph there. I'm going to tell you what, I was probably in my third, maybe my fourth year when I go, ah, this really would have been a great thing for me at the time. But yet, Helping people understand this is really part of what we do. Even though we may not take advantage of it ourselves, there are particular circumstances in people's lives that uh, that make sense for them. Yeah. yeah. So. Absolutely. Okay. So this next improvement, we're on 57 now, the second paragraph. Um, Nelson says this next improvement can be a big one. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and, and now what he's talking about is um, the insurance part of this. Oh, okay? man. Okay. And this is another example where this is not for everyone. It would be in very specific cases. Yep. But can you talk a little bit about the, um, that what he's talking about with the insurance and self-insurance with this? Well, I'm going to jump right back over to page 56, where it says exhibit one. This is the actual financing agreement that he utilizes here. And so you'll have uh, number one, which is the total cash price. Then you got the down payment, number two, the unpaid cash price, which is 50, the 52.6. So that's, that's his actually finance, his financing amount. Uh, 
But then you have section number four, which is the insurance. Now, we've all gone in and bought cars. And if we financed them, what was the thing that we had to have on the car before we drove out of the lot? We had to have liability, which is required by all states. But then we had to have comprehensive and collision. This is almost too simple, but yet it's easily overlooked. The insurance portion is the largest part in the entire exhibit one of this financing agreement. That means that if you end up crashing the truck or your car, the financing company wants what? They want their money, period. But yet, if you go and look at just your car insurance, what are the two most expensive things that you're paying for? Comprehensive and collision. So this is why on this particular agreement, um, this improvement that Nelson is talking about is let's say that you are a, uh, you're going to finance this thing yourself. Mm. So what are we talking about? We're talking about shifting from an outside financing source to an inside financing source. And what is that financing source? It is the policy loan you're taking against your policy. I'm trying to break this down and make it yep. super simple. Yep. So that means that instead of going out and financing it with an outside source, you are financing this thing. Are you required to carry comprehensive and collision if you own the vehicle outright? You are mm -hmm. not. Mm -hmm. So if you go in here, and it goes through and talks to this, protects them against the law or damage to the equipment, which is now the, the truck we're talking about. And it says liability insurance is another manner. It protects you against a possible lawsuit. So if you end up running into somebody and they take you to court, your liability covers you for that. That's what it is. But yet, if you are financing this thing yourself, then the comp and collision you have actually taken on yourself. Now, let's get real. How often do we really crash our vehicles? Not very, very often. often. Okay. So I have been in one wreck in my entire 65 plus years on this earth. It was not my fault. So think of all the comp, comprehensive and collision premiums that I've paid. It is a massive number. Well, Nelson says here, he says his premium for this is $2,100 per year per truck. That's for the $1,000 deductible. For the $1,000 deductible. Yeah, the $1,000 deductible. Right. So if you're not having to carry comprehensive and collision on this truck, but you would have spent that $2,100 with your insurance company, but now you don't have to. Where should you be putting that $2,100 a year? In your policy. You should add that to additional policy loan repayments on top of what you're doing and increase the values or the basis inside the policy. Mm -hmm. it's, it's literally mind boggling. Yeah, he talks about the similarities between what a car insurance and auto insurance company is doing behind the, the curtain and what the life insurance company is doing behind the curtain. And in many ways, it's the same process. It is identical. It is just simply that the car insurance company has inserted themselves as the middleman and they're collecting a fee for doing that. That's exactly right. Yeah. Whereas a person could take them as he calls the blood suckers he, he <laughs> could take those those people out of the middle yep and actually do the process yourself mike when are situations where someone would not want to do that because people well, get excited about this self-included get excited about this idea but there are situations where probably it does isn't wise to do that you know back in my property casualty days I, I used to talk to people about when they should drop their comp and collision. Um, I, I'm going to use two examples. Um, number one, if you are, if you are going to take comprehensive and collision off of your vehicle, my comment to you would be, 
can you take that vehicle and go over here and drop it in the dumpster and go out and get yourself a new car without, without any trouble? Mm -hmm. If the answer is yes to that question, I would tell somebody to drop the comprehensive and collision off of their car, shift those premium payments that you would have paid to an outside insurance company over to policy loan repayments. That's example number one. If you can't do that, then you should leave comp and collision on your car, period. Um, rule of thumb, seven to 10 years, seven to 10 years. And I'm, I'm pushing that out just a little bit for our listeners. You know, so you think about the value of a vehicle, the minute you buy it, it goes down. And then every year after that, the, the value of that vehicle goes down. So at one point in time, around seven years, you, you literally have not much value left in that thing unless you're driving a Tesla or something like that. So that's usually kind of my rule of thumb. Now, you think about these giant trucks. In, in all reality, um, the, the drivers that are driving these trucks, are uh, they have, they've had to go, go through a long process in order to, to, to drive these vehicles. Chances of them getting in a wreck is about exactly the same as us, even though they're pulling probably 100,000 pounds. But yet, if you look at the, the business owner in this particular example, chances are he's, he's making enough profit through his business to be able to carry the comprehensive and collision himself. Mm -hmm. So once again... If you think about the, the dollars that are going in annually, $2,000, towards those premiums, and now you're putting them back, you can actually probably replace that vehicle through the profits of your business and those premium dollars that you're putting back in as policy loan repayments. It, it just would, it would increase the size of that pool exponentially. Right. So- an example where I would say that I would add um, that where I might not do it is where I don't want to cover the liability. For example, if you have um, new drivers in your family, oh, 100%. I, I would, I would let the car insurance, the auto insurance industry cover that liability rather than myself. That's right. Because it, the, the probability of something happening in that car is pretty high. Well, I, when I was in the PNC <laughs> business, I'm going to tell you, 80% of the wrecks that came in the door were teenage or younger drivers, you yeah. know, college age or under. Yeah. And uh, it, it's a nightmare, but it is what it is. One more point on this, uh, on this insurance piece, um, self-insuring, and then we'll go to the next um, improvement is Nelson says, um, if you're doing it yourself, you shouldn't charge yourself 2,100 uh -uh. <laughs> for a thousand dollar deductible. It should be twenty five hundred per year with zero deductible. What's his thought process there? Well, really, what you're doing is you're just adding more dollars in, which is increasing the values. And so, if you're adding more dollars in, your uh, your availability of dollars would be larger quicker. And so, really, what you're doing is if 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 a thousand dollar deductible is twenty one hundred dollars a year, and you want you wouldn't want to pay that anyway you would just add the dollars to it that would increase that cash value availability to where mm -hmm. if that, if that accident did happen, you would have a bigger pool of dollars available to offset that cost. Awesome. So let's transition to um, ownership of the policies. And we're specifically talking right now about business owners. We support a lot of business owners Yep, and right away, a lot of them uh, over 50% of them say, now my business should own the policy, right? Because I'm going to get some deductions and things like that. Nelson talks very specifically about ownership of the policy when you're a business owner. Well, we've said this from day one, and really what we're doing is we're, we're following Nelson's model. Um, the corporation or the business should not own that policy. It should be owned individually. And the reason being is if you can improve your wealth building effects on the whole scenario by owning the policy himself and purchasing the trucks himself, and then you have options at that point of how you want to do uh, 
the ownership or leasing or fill in the blank. Mm-hmm. You know, you could actually own those and create your own leasing company and then lease those vehicles to your corporation. Yeah. Um, this way that, I mean, what are lease payments? They're usually the highest payments that you're going to, to, to pay. So are lease payments to a corporation from a corporation to the leasing company deductible? They are. Mm-hmm. Obviously, you would consult your uh, CPA or your accountant, but yet if you did this properly and had the right documentation, you can create a situation to where not only do you personally benefit, but your corporation or company would be able to benefit in one fell swoop. It's super yeah. cool. So there's some really great um, aspects of that when you're able to own it personally and make yep. loans to your business. Yep. Um, but that doesn't mean that a business shouldn't own policies inside the business. We're an example of that. We own several policies inside yep. Life Success and Legacy. So explain to our listeners, when would a business want to own policies inside the business? Well, a great example is for key employees. Um, you and I are key employees. Uh, uh, Shelly and Michael Crawford are key employees. And if somebody took one of us or our key employees out of the business through a death, would that hurt our business? Absolutely. It, yeah, it, we would be smoked. And uh, so being able to replace, it, it's the same as a vehicle. It, not really, but you, you the same thought process. Mm -hmm. If you have a situation where you've taken a key employee out of a business, you want to be able to replace them with as good of, of asset or person as you are, as been taken out of the business. And if you have some dollars available, you can replace them. You can replace them. Yeah. And, and even, you know, um, with pandemic going on and unknowns and things like that. And I was listening to a podcast of, a, of another business and, and they had, um, they know that there's going to be about every 10 years, there's going to be a cycle where something's going to happen mm-hmm. like, that's going to potentially have a harm to the business. They don't know what that is going to be, All right? but they plan for it. And so they create kind of a war chest, right? Yeah, that's right. Well, with our clients, when they own the policies personally, we tell them where's the best place to store money in your policies. That's right. So even if inside your business, you are, have a war chest or you have some, some assets that you are hanging on to for whatever reason, excess dollars, best place to store it is inside a policy inside the business. Before we leave this, this topic though, um, can you talk, uh, remind our listeners about the deductions and why you do not want it to be the premiums to be a deduction. Well, so after I get done explaining this, there's going to be a few people that have question marks in their brain. Mm -hmm. Um, If you have just giant question marks in your brain, Mike.Everett at lifesuccesslegacy.com, email me and I'll walk you through this personally. So think about this. I have, I have my policy that I own personally, and yet I have a pool inside this policy, and then I have my business over here. Would it make sense for me to be able to loan that business some money for operating expenses, for salaries, fill in the blank, inventory, equipment? In this particular example, it's equipment. Right. So if I've loaned this, this uh, business money, That means that I should create the proper documentation. I should create a loan document. I should create an amortization schedule. Everything should be in place in order to make this a legitimate. It's just like if you went down and borrowed money down at the local bank, are they going to make you put out, uh, create a loan document? Absolutely. Are they going to make you pay an interest rate? Are they going to make you make monthly payments? All of these things need to be in place just like you would do at a conventional bank, but you're now creating the banking system on your side of the the scale. Now, that means that that business needs to make monthly payments back to you. 
is the interest that that business paying deductible? Mm -hmm. It is. So if I'm loaning that money over to that business, what kind of interest rate do you think we ought to charge them? A little or a lot? As big as can be done and make it legitimate. Yeah. You don't, you know, if you, if you could go borrow that money at, let's say 10% and you're going to end up charging that business 20%, that's not going to look good. The IRS doesn't get very excited about stuff like that. So we would tell people be judicious in the interest rate. So if you could borrow that money at 10 and you loaned it to the business at 12, that is legit. That is not an overstep. Okay. So that means that interest is deductible from the business to you. Is that interest income to you. It is. So you've got a deductible expense. You've got an income that's going to be taxable. But here's the awesome thing. The IRS says that if you pay interest back to a dividend paying whole life insurance policy for business purposes over here, all of this interest that you pay back to your life insurance policy is a deductible expense. Okay, so I'm gonna run this through again. Deductible income, deductible. It's a wash. Yeah. So that's a lot. That's like a eight or 900 level college course for anybody who's listening right now. So once again, if you want to walk through it personally on how that would look, be sure and call us or email us. We'll walk you through it. It's not and very difficult. Nelson touches on it, but he really only really only uses a sentence to touch on it ah. uh, at, close to the bottom of page yeah. 57. Yeah. Um, but as a business owner, you're going you're gonna to want to really understand what you're doing with that and also look at, is it worth it to you? you know? That's right. Because uh, sometimes all those extra hoops people just want simple and it may not be worth it to them. That's right. The other, the other piece um, in addition to that, Mike, is um, if a business owner purchases a policy, a lot of times they want to deduct or they want it to be a write-off, a tax ah. write-off that premium. Why would they not want to do that? Because if, if you end up purchasing a, a, a policy, let's say on a key employee and you, and you deduct the premium. And let me tell you, your CPA is going to want to tell you that this is what you should do, by the way. Let's deduct the premium. But if that employee dies and your business gets the proceeds from the death benefit, then all of the death benefit proceeds are taxable. Yeah. You deducted it over here. It's going to be taxable to you. So Nelson says that's a bad idea. Yeah. So again, do you want to pay taxes on the seed or the harvest? Seed every we time. We would prefer to pay the taxes on the seed. Yep. Yep. Okay, finally now, Nelson is looking, he's comparing a couple of the illustrations and he's looking at the passive income yeah. um, between these two. Do you want to walk us through that comparison? Well, so we're going we're gonna to jump, golly, we can do this a number of different ways, but we're just going to go from illustration one and then we're going to jump back to illustration five. That's really the simplest thing. Okay, so... In all of these successive uh, illustrations, two, three, four, five, he not he jumps from illustration one where he literally does zero financing. So that means that what he's done is he's allowed the insurance company to take all the investments and do all the internal workings on the policy. And yet, if you roll down to page, uh, I mean, excuse me, to line. 36. He says line 36, column seven. And if you go over to column seven, he's got $1.5 million in cash value. And if you jump over to where on line 37, he starts taking out $92,000 a year as income. Now, if you knew that you could drop $40,000 a year into a life insurance policy at age 30 and at age 65, start pulling out $92,000 a year, would you do that? Sure. In about one and a half seconds. Now we're going to run over to illustration five real quick. And 
let me, I'm bouncing quick here. Illustration five, he puts the same $40,000 in here, but yet in year five, he starts financing three of the trucks. And in year 13, he does the last of the four trucks and one of the tree shares. So now he's financing a, a pretty large portion of his inventory of equipment. But if you go down to line 36, remember in line 36, it was $1.5 million in illustration one, but it's $3.518 million. The question I would ask is, did it have anything to do with the life insurance company? No, it did not. It had everything to do with the individual and how he functioned with his own cash flow. So what was he doing? He was financing his own inventory. But yet in line 37, he wasn't pulling out $92,000 a year. He was pulling out $225,000 a year. And he did this all the way to age 85. Mm -hmm. He and, he does, and he doesn't run out at 85. If he no, keeps on no. living, if he keeps on living, he still has money to pull out. That's exactly right. And of course, Nelson makes everybody die at age 85. <laughs> and right. and in, in the illustration five, he still passes on $3.328 million to the next generation. Mm -hmm. And that's again, a, just to remind people, the policy is the policy. It's doing what it's supposed to do. That's when exactly right. When you compare right. those two, the difference it's not what the policy is doing. It's what the business owner is doing. Instead, in the first one, he's using paid up insurance and dividends to cover the premiums. That's correct. But in the later ones, because he's financing things, he's drawing in money that he was paying to the banks to finance all of his equipment. He's now using that money inside his policy, which is now paying the premiums so that the dividends and paid up insurance are not required to pay those. So the policy actually gets to be fully uh, what it was designed to do. Cause he's not, um, he's not cannibalizing the policy like no. in, the in the first example. No. Yeah. Well, that's great stuff. Well, that's, I'm going to throw, I'm going to throw a curveball at everybody. Okay. If you go back to figure two on page 55, he was mm -hmm. spending $16,000 a month with the financing company to finance his operation. That's 192,000 bucks a year. Now let's go back to illustration five. If you will notice, he literally for the first 12 years was only financing $54,000 a year of the 192. But yet if you go to line 14, it's actually starts in 13, but he's paying himself $108,000 a year. He is still not financing all of his operation. But yet, if you go and you follow over to line 14, how much money does he have in cash values? He still has 290000 Does he have more than enough to finance his entire operation? More than enough. Mm -hmm. So we did this. Uh, this would have been probably my fifth, sixth, or seventh year. I don't know. It's been so long ago now. I can't remember. We sat down and figured out if he would have actually financed his operation, his entire operation was putting that whole 192 in there. He wouldn't have been pulling out 225 a year starting in line 37. He would have been pulling out over $400,000 a year. So it really has to do with how he utilized his system and what he did in financing his operation. The numbers can get silly really quickly, yeah. but yeah. yet it's about the, the owner of the policy and how he functions with his cash flow. End of story. Nelson wraps up this, uh, this chapter, this section of the chapter, um, talking about this business owner and what he can do you know, at age 66 or whatever, and how he could actually sell his equipment to somebody starting out in the business. Right. And, and, and he could finance, he could lease that equipment uh, to that person starting out and, and really make a good living just as a leasing uh, company. 
a lot of our clients are in the uh, healthcare industry. So chiropractors, eye doctors, dentists, et cetera. And can you give an example of one of our docs who has, they're ready to kind of start phasing out of their practice and how they use um, their policies and what they've been able to build to help a young person start out in the business? Well, so if you, we'll use our, our dentist as an example. So if, if we're thinking about the equipment financing section, what has he done? He's shifted from outside debt to inside debt. So that means that he personally is carrying all of the financing. Now, at one point in time, we're thinking about kicking out of the business, but yet we've been making all of those monthly payments, but yet now he's trying to phase out of, of his business. And we get a, a, a relatively young doctor coming out of uh, dental school, and he's excited about being his own business owner. This guy wants out, this guy wants in. So he turns around and he comes to this doc and says, hey, I heard you're thinking about selling your business. Does the old doctor who's getting ready to get out have the ability to say, yeah, this is how much I want. I tell you what, we'll create a financing package for you and turn around and you can make monthly payments for me. Now, keep in mind, if you have a new doctor coming out of dental school, does he have the wherewithal to go down to a local bank and finance this stuff? He doesn't. He's carrying two to $300,000 worth of student loan debt. And if he was going to go out and do this all on his own, I'm going to tell you what, a finance company or a bank is probably going to charge him anywhere from 15 to 20% on those dollars. So if you have the ability to be able to finance this young doctor, and he makes those monthly payments for you. Could you make a really, really good income out of this? Does it change your lifestyle at all? It does not. But yet you are out from underneath all of this and you've shifted it over here. And to be honest with you, you know, this new doctor, he could get down the road three or four years and all of a sudden realize, you know what, now that I'm in practice and I'm kicking this thing in the tail, he can actually go down to a local bank get the financing and pay the doctor completely off. And guess where the doctor would probably want to plant that money right back inside all of his policies, because he's probably got a pretty large policy loan that he's taken out. And then all of a sudden you've created this giant, I'll call it a windfall because that's what Nelson called it. And you've parked all these dollars back inside your policy. Yeah. Now, let me tell you what, if you're loaning this doctor, a bunch of money. Do you have an insurable interest in him? You do. Should you absolutely? Buy a, should you buy a policy on this young doctor? Because if this guy dies, you want your money. I mean, it sounds a little rough, but I'm going to tell you what: it's business. We're showing people how to actually function better with the dollars that that you have been blessed with, and that you are. Uh, you're just. It's called stewardship. Yeah. It's really that simple. Well, it goes back to why Nelson owned at one point 49 life insurance policies. That's exactly right. Anybody that he had an insurable interest in, he started a policy on them. He did. And that's just <laughs> smart. So. This is so good. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> this is so good. <laughs> well, we're wrapping up this uh, this section of the equipment financing. Um, the, the last piece on here that I would highlight, because uh, we've gone a little bit long on this one, um, but the last piece is at the top of 58 in the second column, Nelson actually shows how this policy was designed on this uh, age 30 uh, business owner. I want to give you the opportunity to talk about um, how this is designed for our listeners. Well, the, the bottom line is when, when you turn around and you create um, the, the withdrawal, it says right here, all the interest involved in these illustrations has been paid by withdrawal of additional dividends and credit. So basically at one point in time, what's happening is as you are taking out the income in the later years, you are taking out withdrawals, not policy loans. And Nelson says, right, he, you know, he says a number of times in the book, would he ever do it this way? He would not. But right. yet what's happening is he is taking out withdrawals of the additional dividend credits in order to create the income 
that he is taking out in all of these policies. Mm-hmm. So does it all work? It works perfectly. Yeah. It, so um, looking over um, at the top of 58 in the second column, um, Nelson shows how he um, splits out the premiums between the, um, the base premium and the, and the PUA on yep. that. And so um, I even did a calculation myself. I've got my little pencil in here. Um, the, the PUA is 62.5% <laughs> of the premium. I'm telling you. And, and Nelson always said, you know, a, a, a good place to start with the design of the policies is look at your base as about 40% of the premium yep. and your PUA about 60% of the premium. Now, you can slide up and down along that yep. depending on, depending on the, the goals of the client. We've talked about that before. We design the policies for the goals of the client. But here's another example where of that $40,000 premium, he has roughly 40% in the base and 60% in the PUA. This is exactly why we try to follow Nelson's principles almost to the T. Yeah. Um, he created this for a reason. So we would pay attention to the, to the minute details. Yeah. And uh, we do have a number of people that get kind of hung up on that. But yet, um, as Mike Crawford has said, numbers of time, if you give up, if you give up something here on the front end, you're going to give up something really big at the tail end. So what we're trying to do is create the perfect scenario to where you still have access to a policy loan early on, but yet later on, this thing should be kicking tail and not taking any names at all. Good stuff, Mike Everett. This was, uh, we went a little bit long on this one, but the equipment financing is involved. There's a lot of detail in here. Um, And so we wanted to to give it its due attention uh, as we go through this. I want to thank our listeners um, for joining us again in this. We will continue through uh, Becoming Your Own Banker. We hope you're enjoying it. And, uh, And we hope that you'll come back and join us for our next one. Uh, Until that time, we have lots of resources at lifesuccesslegacy.com. So check us out there. And again, if you do not have a copy of Nelson's book, Becoming Your Own Banker or The Case for IBC, um, or if you're interested in creating a family banking uh, system, we have Family Banking of Purpose uh, available as well. So we'll catch you next time. Take care. Mm -hmm.